all of us need to be healed of something. There are the obvious ailments, of course, the ones that we know about, the ones that a doctor can diagnose, ranging from the major illnesses to the more mundane. But then there are illnesses that are more important, the ones that affect us that are much more subtle and much less obvious, the illnesses that are far below the surface, far beyond the ability to diagnose with conventional means. These are illnesses that are subversive as well as infectious, such that I would venture a guess that this morning most of us, if not all of us, are suffering from this kind of illness. But the good news is that this ailment is one that has a prescription. And according to today's scripture reading, there is only one prescription. We just heard Gray read the story moments ago of ten lepers who needed healing. Healing in a very obvious way because they were affected by a disease called leprosy, which was in those days a very common but very menacing disease. A disease that would begin with a bacterial infection that would touch the skin. And it wouldn't be very long before that bacteria would sink below the skin, deep into the muscle tissue, and begin to affect a person's nervous system. And upon infection of the nervous system, that disease would then spread to a person's extremities. And it wouldn't be very long before a person could see the symptoms, those very familiar symptoms, affecting their hands and their feet, the twisting of the limbs, the curling of the fingers, the claw shape of the hand. Eventually on the skin there would be tumors that would develop all over a person's skin and a tumor on the person's airwaves. And eventually that infection would affect the person's face so that there would be very visual disfigurement of a person's ears as the ears would swell up and a person's nose would start to droop. But because it was a neurological disease, the disease affected more than the superficial it affected the way a person's nerves worked, and eventually the optic nerve, which, which controlled vision, would be affected such that most lepers eventually lost their ability to see. And they eventually lost their ability to feel, no tactile sensations whatsoever, so that they could not feel any pain, which might seem like a good thing, except because of that, they could not tell, either visually or tactilely, that parts of their body would begin to fall off. It's a menacing, awful, common disease. But I would have you know that it wasn't just the superficial aspects of leprosy that were the most debilitating. It was the deeper, more subversive, and more hidden aspects of leprosy. Because of their disfigurement, lepers would often have to be secluded from the rest of society. They would huddle together in little enclaves, forced to live at the fringe of society with other lepers. 
Which is why it should be no surprise to us that when we meet these ten lepers in the gospel story today, when they first hear about Jesus' arrival in the village, Luke says that they kept their distance. And when they called out to Jesus for help, they had to call out from a distance when they said to him, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Something very interesting about Jesus' response here to me. This is not your usual healing story. In many other healing stories throughout the Bible, Jesus would heal a person but would take advantage of some wonderful creative theatrics in order to heal a person. Much like a magician at Caesar's palace, Jesus would build suspense and use creative means to awe the crowd. Like one time, he met a blind person. And he didn't just heal the blind person in an instant. He took some spit. He spit on the ground and created some mud and took that mud and put it on the person's eyes. And at the moment that that concoction hit the man's eyelids, he was able to see. Ta-da! One time to build suspense when he was ministering to a sinner... He didn't just forgive the woman's sins. He decided to take a stick and scribble something on the ground. And nobody could read what he was writing, but it didn't matter because he was building suspense like a masterful performer. One time, when he was trying to raise a dead little girl to life, he uttered this wonderful, beautiful, mysterious Arabic phrase that sounded like an incantation, and all of a sudden this little girl was raised back to life. Jesus loved drawing attention to God and using the theatrical to do it. But here, what's interesting to me here is the rather original and unextraordinary way in which Jesus healed the lepers. He didn't even come close to them. There they were from a distance. And upon hearing the words, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us, Jesus simply called back and he told them to turn around and start walking away. That's all they had to do. Turn around and walk away. The same words that those lepers had probably heard most of their lives from other people in the village. Turn around and get away. But this time, this time, with every step that they took, that took them further and further away from Jesus, it brought them closer and closer to healing. Or did it? Or did it? Were they, in fact, healed? You see, sometimes it's not the obvious illnesses that require the deepest healing, but the ones that are often unseen, the ones that only God can diagnose. You see, it would have been perfectly understandable if Luke had decided to end the story right here with the ten lepers being healed of their leprosy. We could have gone on our merry way to the next story about Jesus. The lepers could have gone on to live a normal and active life. And Jesus would have gone on to the next village to heal the next group of people. But Luke has more to tell us. Because there is more work to be done. Because Luke would want to remember 
and want us to remember that suffering with leprosy was not just physical or epidermal or neurological. It was much deeper than that, much more personal than that. It was, in fact, spiritual. And Luke would remind us that even though not a one of us here this morning is suffering from leprosy, we are all suffering from that deeper illness that needed to be healed. You see, leprosy brought with it a a severe social stigma. There are reports of ancient Near Eastern communities that dealt with the issue of leprosy in a very visual and very scandalous way. Often they would take a bell and tie it around the neck of a person suffering with leprosy so that healthy people in the village could hear when a leprous person was anywhere remotely in their midst. Ancient Near Eastern communities would often have laws segregating the places where lepers were able to congregate, even the sides of the street where they were allowed to walk, depending on the way that the wind was blowing out of fear that that bacterial contagion could be spread through the wind. To be a leper was to live a life of an outcast, shunned to the margins, marginalized by society, treated as subhuman. And because they had lost their ability to see, they were rendered unable to see the looks of the healthy people in the village. They couldn't see the faces of horror and disgust and abject pity as people would look upon their disfigured faces. And because they were not able to feel, they were not able to feel the sympathetic touch of a generous heart of a person who wanted the best for them. And all of this meant that lepers felt subhuman, worthless, rejected, like God had somehow made a mistake when God made them, searching for purpose, longing for meaning, like all they were on this planet was wasted space. Forget about all the physical ailments related to leprosy. There was a deeper illness that they needed to be healed from. And the deeper thing that they needed healing from was deeply personal and emotional and ultimately spiritual. No wonder Luke continues this story. Because the punchline is yet to come. Because Luke would want us to know that only one of those ten experienced that kind of deep healing. And it happened when that one leper stopped in his tracks and did a complete 180 and turned around to face Jesus and began to do something that he was unable to do for most of his life. He began to draw closer to Jesus he began to be in close proximity to another human being for the first time in a long time. And all that he could think of doing when he came face to face with Jesus was drop to the ground and bow at Jesus' feet 
And it was there that Luke said that this leper said to Jesus, thank you. Thank you. And it was at that moment that this leper was fully healed. Notice what Jesus says. These are very important, carefully chosen words from Jesus. As soon as this man thanks him, Jesus said, weren't ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? But then he goes on. He said, get up and go. Your faith has made you healed. Notice. Notice the difference in words. Nine of them were cleansed. Only one of them was healed. Nine of them were able to receive wholeness and health for the obvious superficial ailments, the ones that everybody could see, the ones that they knew about. But one, only one, received healing for the deeper ailment, the one that only he and Jesus could see. Now, let's not be too hard on the other nine. For heaven's sake, they were just acting in a way that we would certainly understand. We wouldn't blame them if some of those nine who were instantly healed of their leprosy went straight to their homes to tell their family and their friends and their loved ones about this miraculous healing in their life. If they did, we wouldn't have blamed them. If they had made a beeline over to the employment office to reveal themselves to those officials to let them know that now they can have a job and have a future and fend for themselves, we wouldn't have blamed them. If they'd gone to the other lepers in the village, to the other colonies where people were suffering, and told them about the good news of a miraculous healer who could heal them just the way that he had healed me, we wouldn't have blamed them. But Luke would want you to remember that those nine were merely cleansed. Only one of them, only one of them was fully healed. The one who came back to thank Jesus is the only one that had his dignity restored. That one who came back to express gratitude to Jesus is the only one whose subhumanness was eradicated, who once again had a connection to life, who had a restored connection to other people in the community, who was able to see his self-worth rise and his self-esteem restored and his perspective on life gloriously redeemed. He was the only one who had been suffering with a dark, deep despair that now could look at life and say, I am human and I am a child of God. And Luke would tell us today, that if you are suffering in that kind of deep way today, there is only one prescription. Gratitude. Gratitude heals. Quite literally, by the way, gratitude heals. Vicki, earlier in the week, reminded me of some very important scientific research that is being advanced today on the subject of gratitude. 
And this research proves that being grateful literally rewires your brain. That expressing and identifying gratitude in your life, even and especially when you don't feel like being grateful, can create new neural pathways in your brain. In those areas of your brain that have the capacity for anger and bitterness and resentment, simply the act of being grateful can create new neural pathways that enable your brain to have an increased capacity for generosity and compassion and health and joy. Being grateful can heal your mind. And what's more, gratitude can heal you even when you don't feel like being grateful. Even when your life is at odds with your temperament, even when the chips seem stacked against you, even when nothing seems to be going your way, even when there are deadlines crushing upon you and all of the bad news seems to be weighing on you and the darkness seems to be encroaching upon you, simply an act of gratitude can bring you health and wholeness and joy in a powerful way. And this man discovered that only when he was grateful to Jesus did he receive a restoration of his human dignity and his self-worth. Luke is very careful to say it this way. Nine were only cleansed, but this one was fully healed. And Luke would want to remind us that he was a foreigner He was also a Samaritan, not just a foreigner, but the worst kind of foreigner in those days, a person who was essentially the enemy, a one who was despised for their ethnicity and their history, the one who was looked upon with absolute dejection. He had two major strikes against him. He was not only a leper, he was a Samaritan leper and therefore had no business asking Jesus for help, but of all the people. Of all the people in that ten, he was the one who experienced the fullest healing. and He was the one who was grateful. And this is a reminder to us that sometimes, sometimes the people who can teach us the lessons that we most need to hear are the ones who are most different from us. Four years ago, my daughters and I visited my parents' ancestral homeland in the Philippines. One of our stops was to my mother's childhood neighborhood, where members of my mother's family still live in the very same house where she grew up. To get there, we had to get up early one morning and left our hotel in downtown Manila and drive through bumper-to-bumper traffic for two and a half hours to the southern tip of the main island. And there we hopped on a ferry boat to negotiate a two-hour boat ride to one of the islands called Mindoro in order to visit a little village called Sulonai. What's fascinating to me was how her neighborhood looked. My mother's neighborhood was technically called a barrio, essentially a small village with just a few hundred families. 
And immediately I realized that this was unlike any other place that I had visited in my entire life. Because in order to get to this village, we had to cross a bridge, a little footbridge, about a half a mile long. There's a picture on the screen for you. We had to park our car on the mainland, and because we didn't want to walk that long distance because it was pouring down rain, we hired a couple locals who had bicycles and little sidecars attached to their bicycles in order to drive us by bike along this very rickety little footpath of a bridge. All I kept thinking as I was going across this bridge is, I hope I make it alive. Everything that people needed in that little village that was purchased on the mainland had to be carried by hand or by bicycle into their homes in Salonai. Their food, their furnishings, their construction lumber, everything had to be carried over to the village. And because there were no cars in the barrio, the thing I noticed about this village was there were no streets or driveways. It was laid out in a way that's unusual of anything I've seen in this country. Here in the United States, all of the placement of our residences are in accordance to where the driveways are, where the alleys are, where the the roads, the streets, the highways are. But here, it was completely random, completely haphazard. Houses would be built, clustered together in little pockets, little enclaves, often them, oftentimes surrounding single water sources like a pump, like it's in the picture here, or around a central courtyard, or around a clothes washing station. All the houses would be facing inward so that as people sat on their front porches throughout the day and into the evening, they could see other people in their community. It was a remarkable place, and it meant that everyone in that village knew everyone, which was why it was kind of a big deal when I showed up that day with my family. I showed up, and immediately people recognized me. I'd never met these people in my life, but they knew who I was. Immediately they started saying, Ang anak ng Tessie. Which means the son of Tessie. That's my mother's name. She's here, by the way. The son of Tessie is here. And they started to come out from the village and they started to greet me and the girls. And then they said, Which means, my God, he's huge. forgot it was an Asian culture, they probably thought I was Godzilla there to uh, (laughs) stomp on their houses. But here's what I'll never forget. What I will never forget is the looks on their faces. By every Western standard, these were people who lived impoverished lives. By every standard here in America, these are people who should not have been grateful for anything. Ravaging diseases, frequent typhoons, 
Incredible flooding. Disaster upon disaster. No access to modern conveniences. But you know what? I'll never forget the smiles. Here on the screens are two of my relatives. The one on the right is named Kuya Boy. Kuya is the Filipino word for cousin. It's my mom's cousin. People just call him Boy. Kuya Boy. To the left, it's a government official. It's the barrio captain, essentially the mayor of all of Saloni. The looks on their faces exemplified everything I saw on the people that were there. Amazing optimism, great sense of community, a fierce and tenacious gratitude for all that they had. I met other members of my family, including Kuya Boy's wife, and there's uh, their little grandson, Lance Gabriel. That little face, never forget, exemplified the fierce kind of optimism and the generosity that can only come from a deep sense of healing that those people experienced because in everything that they had, they were grateful. And here they were teaching me a lesson that I needed to learn. Because these are beautiful people with qualities that money can't buy. Just like the Samaritan in the parable, they are foreigners too. And just like the Samaritan, they can teach us an important lesson that we need to hear. You may not always get what you want, friends. Your prayers may not always come to be the way you want them to be. The answers to your prayers may not always satisfy you. Life may throw you a curveball. Times could get pretty dark. But you will always, always have the choice to be grateful. And gratitude will give you a blessing that money can't buy. The obvious question for us this morning is this. What are you grateful for today? What are you thankful for today? I'm not just talking about the obvious things, the important things, but the obvious things like family, friends, a job, health. Be thankful for those. But I wonder, I wonder if the Spirit is calling you to think of something that you often overlook, a blessing that God has given to you in your life that you often ignore Because when given a choice between focusing on all that's bad in the world and wrong with your life, you tend to choose to focus on that rather than all of the blessings that God has given to you. What are those things? I'm sure that you're thinking of something right now. And if you are, I'm going to invite you to share it in a very expressive way, in a very personal way, in a very public way, and in a very technological way. Is it possible that you can think of what you're grateful for right now in 140 characters or less? (laughs) By show of hands this morning, how many of you have in your possession right here in the sanctuary a smartphone with a Twitter account? Just go ahead and raise your hands. Look at all the... See, people thought the 11 o'clock service wouldn't have anybody. (laughs) 
We knew better. If you've got a Twitter account today, I wonder if you can do something very special. Not just for yourself, and not just as a way of encouraging other people, but as an offering to God. On the screen in just a moment, you're going to see a special hashtag that we're going to use to tweet our things that we're grateful for. Now, if that last sentence made no sense sense to you whatsoever, I'll get to you in a minute. (laughs) But if you've got a Twitter account on your smartphone, when I call for the offering and when the ushers are taking up the morning offering, will you tweet what you're grateful for using the hashtag return thanks? What's going to happen is your tweet will be joined by countless others throughout the morning and appear on our worship screens so that we will create a virtual Twitter feed as an offering, a collective offering of gratitude to God. It'll be joined by tweets that we've received throughout the morning. It'll be joined by tweets that are happening right now in the Magnolia building for the 11 Mag service. It'll be joined by tweets that Vicky has been collecting from our open arms people throughout the day using the hashtag open arms. And it'll be joined by people who are watching us online So if you're watching online right now, you can tweet your gratitude as well. Now, if you have a Twitter account and you don't have your smartphone with you, you can do it later today when you're in front of your computer, and you can use that hashtag throughout the day for us to hear and receive and collect all of these words of gratitude. Now, for those of you who have no idea what I just said, (laughs) you have a connection card. Grab a pencil or a pen and write on that connection card that which you are grateful for. Put that in the offering plate later in the service. We'll receive those from you as a staff. We will give thanks to God for them and pray for them in our regular Tuesday morning staff meeting, and you can participate in that joyful expression of gratitude as well. Friends, all of us, All of us need to be healed from something. All of us need to be cleansed, but all of us need to be healed. And the only way to do that is to follow the example of this one leper who dropped everything he was doing and took a moment and thanked God. Will you do the same? Let us pray. God, we thank you for this reminder, a reminder that we needed to hear whether we realized it or not, that even though many of us are suffering today, we can still be grateful. Even though the chips seem stacked against us, we can still be grateful. Even though we'd prefer to focus on everything that's wrong and bad in our lives, we can still be grateful to you. Call to mind those blessings that you have given to us that we have not earned or deserved and receive from us in this act of gratitude offering an expression of our thanks to you so that we can be like that one leper who was healed in the deepest and fullest way who was able to receive his sense of dignity and worth and be restored to you and to all of life 
as a child of God. We offer these gifts to you in grateful praise. In Jesus' name, amen. And so as a response to God's word, we invite you to prepare God's tithes and your gifts and offerings as the ushers come forward. And we invite you as well to take your smartphones at this time and tweet your gratitude to God. Will the ushers come forward?